Well, as you're grabbing your seat, please uh, pick up your Bible, whether it's printed or digital. Please pick that up. And would you turn to the book of Malachi? Malachi chapter 4. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Chapter 4 is the last chapter of the Old Testament. And I want for us to begin by looking at the uh, last couple verses of the Old Testament. Uh, Malachi, we enter this uh, in the time of about 430 B.C., so that means it's about 430 years before Christ. The temple has been rebuilt in Jerusalem. If you were here last Sunday, we talked about all uh, a number of the prophecies. One of those is that the one would come, the Messiah would come after Jerusalem is back on the map, after the temple is rebuilt, and that is rebuilt and ready to go. And God in Malachi is actually confronting his people. Um, this is a hard times with what's going on. Let me pick up last two verses of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4. Did I say 5? But we're chapter 4. Verse 5, here we go. Behold, God says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. That's interesting. And the hearts of the children to their fathers. Let me just pause there and uh, basically sum it up this way. One is coming before the one comes. One is going to be coming before the one comes. And if you kind of look to the next couple pages to the right in your Bible, if they're blank, uh, that really symbolizes, if you will, 400 years of God being silent. 400 years, that's a lot of time. So the last verses we read, in essence, God goes silent and God goes quiet. God doesn't go inactive. He's actually putting everything in place. Now, would you turn to Luke chapter 1? So Malachi, then Matthew, then Mark, then Luke. Luke chapter 1. And today, uh, we dig into the first 25 verses of Luke chapter 1. But before we dig in and dive in here, I want to ask a question. Where are your minds right now? Where are your minds right now as we enter Luke chapter 1 in these first 25 verses? Uh, let me ask it a different way. What are you thinking when you enter the events leading up to the birth? Last week I talked about some of that and where are we at? Now let me just say, are you distracted? You know, all the things that have to go on this month or today and around Christmas time. Um, maybe it's kind of yawn. And I don't mean just tired. I mean, maybe it's like, here we go, the same old Christmas story, wah, 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 yawn. Or maybe it's a little bit more skeptical. Maybe it's like, Doug, please, please, don't punk me. Don't punk me in this with this story. It could be, or you could be at a place where you're just like, Doug, I am jazzed about diving into this and the events of the birth of Christ, and this is just exciting stuff. And I'll just say this, wherever you're at, I would like for the first four verses to kind of grab a hold of us and all enter in the same way, wherever you are at right now. Now, these first four verses pull some things together in Luke chapter 1. You there in Luke chapter 1? Yeah. All right, let's go. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me, i.e. Luke, also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, 
that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Understand, what we're about to enter into is an eyewitness compiled narrative, a telling of something very important. It's not an exhaustive compilation, but it's all the necessary facts that are needed to be able to derive a conclusion. And Luke lays them out here. He's trying to give the correct story. By the way, it's not second-hand information or third-hand information or fourth-hand information. Luke is compiling together first-hand information. I was there and I saw it kind of stuff. On top of that, he seeks to write an account where there's a lot of thought and a lot of organization to it. This is a writing that is seeking by the author, human author here, to write something with intellectual integrity. And that's what he wants to have happen. And I'll also add in here, he's writing to a friend, Theophilus. Glad I don't have that name. I go with Theo if that was the case. But here, here is who's Theophilus. Well, Theophilus, for one, we see out of this most excellent Theophilus, this probably means this is a guy with some pretty high standing. So this is not some schmuck just like off in a cave, but this is some, some guy with probably some high uh, uh, standing. Luke writes not only the Gospel of Luke, but also the book of Acts to Theophilus. And Theophilus is a friend. It's someone that Luke knows. It's someone that Luke cares about. In other words, it's not some unknown dude or, or people that he's like, this is an awesome chance just to punk him, just to play with him, just to manipulate. Because I don't know him. I don't have any skin in the game. Uh, Luke does. And so does Theophilus. These are friends. And Luke is like, listen, you've been taught some things. You've heard some things. I want to do an accurate account to be able to bring you to a place where you can really understand the true factual data so that you, Theophilus, can come to a conclusion. I love that. I love that about this guy. Oh, by the way, he's a doctor. And we got to be careful that we don't take doctors today and just automatically apply them back then. But we have a number of doctors here in our church family. And, and I'll just say this is over the years and for my, some of my past, having known doctors, doctors are people that love good data and hate bad data. They generally are the kind of men and women who can compile information well. They can read it and read between the cracks to understand if this is information that's being compiled together to, to, to punk me, play with me, or if this is information that's real dead on, right on stuff. Luke's a doctor, and that even brings more assurance to what's going on. So Luke is writing to his friend, giving a full account, trying to provide an authorized, certified, here are the facts, my friend, reality. And with that in mind, let's jump in. But let me ask God just to continue to bless us here, okay? Lord, uh, we enter this text with our minds engaged. Our to-do list, we set them aside. Our week schedule, we put it on pause. We're here. There literally is nothing more important that we could be doing than being here together with a word open, digging in, singing to you, rejoicing in you. We're not entering a fairy tale story. We're not entering uh, something where the facts have been uh, grown out of proportion into some kind of fairy tale. We are entering history, eyewitness accounts, facts research 
orderly compiled data put together that we would be able to know the truth of what happened. Lord, this is big stuff. And I pray we would just savor it and take it in. And this is about your glory. Because this is about your story. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Verse 5. Here we go. In the days of Herod, king of Judea. A little bit about Herod and a little bit about the days. Herod. Herod reigned from 47 B.C. to 4 B.C., uh, um, he was half Jewish. Um, that's kind of an interesting thing because it shows in even some of the things that he did. He helped to improve and expand the temple area and all that was around it in that day. And yet at the same time, I'll say the other half of him put the Roman eagle up on the entrance into the temple area. Kind of like you are entering into the temple and by the way, Rome rules over you. As you enter, he's an interesting guy, but also I'll say he was an interesting guy, but he was an utter tyrant, utter tyrant. This was not the kind of guy you want to have lunch with. Uh, He had nine wives, and uh, ladies, by the way, one of them he had executed. Not the kind of guy you want to go on a date with. He was a tyrant. Also at the time, the days were dark. Um, It had been thousands and thousands of years since the first prophecies of the coming one had been given. Um, And people were wondering, essentially, where was the one that was born of the woman from the line of Abraham, from the line of Judah, from the line of David, from the line of Jesse, from the line of, I got that, Jesse, to the line of David, born Bethlehem, who would bruise Satan's head, as we talked about last Sunday. Where is that one? He hasn't showed. It's almost like they could walk by the temple and ask the question, has God left the building? These were dark days. In fact, many Israelites had kind of given up on the whole God thing. They had actually come to the place where many of the Israelites thought that eternity was lived out through your children. By the way, don't lose that fact in light of what we're about to read today. Many people thought that eternity was not spending eternity with God. Eternity was lived out through your children. That has implications for Zechariah and Elizabeth. These were dark days. And yet there were some who held true to God's word, knowing that God had it all in control. And there was a couple called Zechariah and Elizabeth that God was going to use. God had a plan for this elderly couple. God had a plan for this hurting couple. And they had no idea that God had a plan for them like this. But he did. So let's learn about them. Verse 5 and 6. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. Let me give you a little bit on Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah is a priest. In other words, he comes from, as it says, he comes from the division of Abijah. Uh, Old Testament priests were determined by lineage. You can't think of priests like we think of the word today. In 1 Chronicles 24, uh, there was an order of 24 families from the line of Aaron. Aaron was Moses' right-hand man, who was the first priest that came on. 
uh, appointed by God. And God appointed uh, them the duty to serve the house of the Lord as priests. And in Ezra chapter 4, I'm sorry, Ezra chapter 2, only four of the 24 families return from exile. But Nehemiah reinstitutes the 24 divisions. And Abijah is the eighth division listed in Nehemiah 12. I know you're keeping all that data backed in your mind. But I just want to bring it to this. Zechariah comes from that line. Okay, he comes from that line. Elizabeth. Um, oh, by the way, each of the 24 divisions at the time would serve at the temple one week every six months. So in a year, that would be, let's see, how many times? Two weeks. Two weeks. Uh, they did not have parsonages next to the temple. And in fact, most of the priests in that day, it's estimated that there were some 18,000 priests and Levites, and they lived all over the place. There would be the ones who were there on grounds, if you will. But Zechariah was one that was living out and about from the line. Elizabeth, she was a daughter of Aaron, the text tells us in verse 6. That means she's of priestly lineage. And the reality was that in the day, a priest was only to marry a virgin of Israel and preferably a priest's daughter. And Elizabeth was that, okay? Why am I putting all this on the table? Because look at this couple. A priest, she's of the lineage, right marriage, right stock, right setup. Let's learn something else in verse 6. This couple, the scripture says, was a couple that was righteous before God. That's quite a statement. And then it goes on to say they walked blamelessly in the commandments and the ordinances of God. I mean, I'm like, dude and dudette, you are awesome. I mean, this is like quite a couple here. And this is an elderly couple, but yet that tells who they are. And they've got everything. I mean, you would look at the, at the data around this couple and go, their life must be sweet. But this couple had some serious hurt. In fact, uh, their life was not all roses. Uh, verse 7. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, you and I could go, oh, well, I'm sure that was hard. But I just want to tell you, if, and I haven't been in this situation, but I've talked with couples who have wanted a child and, and it's just not happening and, and it's hard. And added on top of that is in the day. In the day, there were so many other pains that were going on that would add to this as a huge life burden. I mean, I would say it three things. There's personal hardship in this. I mean, we're going to see in just a little bit, they wanted children. They wanted children. What's God's deal? They wanted children. And a couple who didn't have children in their old age, they were left unto themselves. I mean, no social security or whatever it is we've got coming up here. We have no, they had nothing in place. And their kids would take care of them. It was a social, real-life hardship if you didn't have children. Also, it was, it was a social hardship or a personal hardship first and a social next. Uh, I just think of this, of the snubbing that take place. Do you remember at the time? A lot of people were like, you know what? You don't have children. You're not going to be cared for. People can be so cruel sometimes, can't they? And on top of that, a lot of people in the day thought that eternity was lived through your children. So if you didn't have children, well, you just connect the dots and what people would say and do. Personal hardship, social hardship, and I'll just say spiritual hardship. 
Uh, we're going to see that Zechariah and Elizabeth have been praying about their situation. But I also want to add into this, out of Deuteronomy chapter 28, some information. Let me just read it to you and you can just listen. God is talking with Israel at this time, a long time before, but he says this, and they would have known about this scripture. God says, and if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all the commandments that I command you today, that sounds like them. That sounds like they are a couple. That's what they were doing. Uh, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb. Not for this couple. He goes on in Deuteronomy 28. He says, and the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your womb. And then later in the chapter, verse 15, he says, but if you will not obey, here's the other side of the coin, the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all that is commanded and his statutes, uh, then all these things shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall be you in the city. Cursed shall be you in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb. And here's an older couple who has been a righteous, walking, blameless couple, and I could see them potentially, I think it's ultimately pulling out of Scripture, making that apply just to me as an individual. It's speaking to a people as a whole. But there's the potential for them to get look at that and go, God, what in the world are you doing? Because we're walking this way, and you aren't fitting up to your part of the bill. So what was the purpose for this couple's godly, this godly couple's hardship? I mean, why would God not stay true? to his Deuteronomy 28 discussion. Friends, I just think there's a huge lesson for us here. A lesson that in the pain, God knew exactly what was going on. God knew their hurt. And here's the reality. God allowed their hurt. And in fact, he had something much bigger in mind for them. And this couple's painful life situation was about their being used by God to fulfill the last two verses of the Old Testament. This was going to be the couple that would bring the one in before the one. Well, let's keep reading. Luke chapter 8. I'm sorry, Luke 1 verse 8. Psych. Verse 8, now while he was serving Zechariah as priest before God when his division was on duty, got the picture? He's in Jerusalem. It's one of his weeks out of the year. He's there in Jerusalem at the temple while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood. He was chosen by lot, roll the dice, uh, to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. That's a cool picture. We'll talk about the picture here. The incense burning. Uh, only those of the priests, again, 18,000 priests, Levites, only those who had never offered incense were up for the dice roll. Okay, so they were in divisions. And so their division would come at the time. And if you had already done an incense burning, which took place in the morning and in the evening each day, if you hadn't done it, then you would be up. And, and they would roll the dice. Um, let me tell you about the temple. 
so you understand the big picture of it all. Uh, let me explain it. We got it up on the screen? All right, there we go. Uh, on the outside of the temple area here is the court of the Gentiles. Then right on the inside here is actually they called it the court of the women. Jewish women could go inside that at the time. Then uh, a little further in, there would be the court of the Israelites, uh, just kind of just through the door. Let's go to the next. Just through the door up the steps there. You'd walk in. Court of the Israelites would be there. And then go to the next one and kind of... In and beyond there, that was actually where the sacrifices would take place. And that's the court of the priests uh, in, right in that area. And, and uh, then what would happen is, is they would go to the, to the steps. Uh, there's steps that leading up. Let's go to the next one. Oh, we're over here. I'm sorry. Uh, the steps going up into the temple. So then they would come. They would stand there. Um, uh, they would, uh, let me go on through this. Uh, yeah, then they would go on through into the sanctuary, go into the next one. So the person would come inside. Inside the sanctuary area would be the urns, the incense burning. Then in the back, in the next slide, is the Holy of Holies. And that's a, an area separated by a big, huge, giant curtain. Then when, the, when it's all done, uh, they would not go into Holy of Holies for this. Then they would come back out. Let's go to the next slide. They would come back out to the front of the porch. And I love this. By the way, all the time that the incense burning in the morning is happening, all the people are outside in the court of the women and in, the, in, in these other courts, and they would be praying while all this is happening. Just very cool and altogether reality. And then that priest would come back out. All the priests would come up with him onto the steps, join him there, and then they would give a declaration to all the people from Numbers 6, 24 to 26. And they're, they're, they would say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I mean, this is just an awesome ceremony and what would take place. So Zechariah is chosen by Lot. Uh, literally, it would be dice. I won't go through the process, but it was literally dice. And this was the normal, normal ritual that they would go through and it would circumvent any bias. You know, like I want my buddy up there, I vote him in. You know, like the kickball game when you're a kid and they all line up and you're left last. <laughs> Bad days, huh? Uh, uh, but this was the time when they would do this. Now, earlier I'd made the statement, where was God in all of this? And I'll say this, behold the work of God in the dice. I'm not kidding about this. Because this is the day that all of a sudden, after 400 plus years of silence, God is making the one come before the one. I mean, can you just imagine the heavens and the anticipation of this? And it's coming, everybody. It's coming. Redemptive history is coming to a culmination right here. And all everybody's, oh, this is awesome. And then the dice, yeah, snake eyes. Or, yeah, okay. You know, whatever, and, and Zechariah is up. He just knows this is awesome. And really, with, because there were so many, this is very much like a once-in-a-lifetime kind of a time. This is Zechariah's time. This is no chance. This is no luck. This is one out of 18,000, all in control by God's hands. Zechariah and Elizabeth had been walking blamelessly before the Lord, for however old they were, but they're old, older than me. <laughs> and now God is going to use them. You know, we get to where it's like, God's got to be on my time, doing my thing, 
And I've been walking with them long enough now. God, come on, do something big with me. Bless these couple, this couple's heart. This was no normal day. So outside, the, uh, uh, the, the dice are rolled. Zachariah is prepared. The people are preparing. He, he goes and Zechariah walks the steps, enters the temple. And he goes into the sanctuary area. The sanctuary area here, uh, you can see, is actually about 30 feet wide, 60 feet long to the curtain, and 60 feet tall. It's actually not that big, but it's very austere. And you can see there that there would be, in the kind of in the center there, there would be the incense offering. And behind that is the massive curtain, the veil separating from the 30 foot by 30 foot holy of holies area. This is no normal day for Zechariah. All of redemptive history. God's back in town. Verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Are you picturing this in your mind as we read this? Do. Uh, no one else is in this building but him. And now an angel. And by the way, this is Gabriel. This is the big dog angel. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him, I'd say. But the angel said to them, is this not cool how God is? Do not be afraid, Zechariah. How sweet, just how kind. And then in this, listen to what Gabriel says. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. What prayer? What prayer might this be? Well, look at the next joining statement. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. What prayer? A prayer for a child. How magnificent is this? The Godhead has not put a deaf ear onto the ones that are walking righteous and blamelessly, Zechariah and Elizabeth. God's known all about it. Listen, there was not like a prayer about this yesterday. This had to have been for decades and decades, and God's got it all in control. So listen, Zach. Listen, hang on there, buddy. I got it all figured out. I'm hearing you. And here it comes. And Gabriel shows up. Gabriel had to be a stud-looking kind of an angel, whatever. It had to be. And there's Gabriel there, and he says, listen, don't fear, Zechariah. We've been hearing your prayer. Oh, be encouraged. On your knees, praying. God hears, friends. Verse 12, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. And the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name what? I, I, I tell you. So saves the time with the baby book names. As a guy, I'd be all about that. You know, what about this? No, I remember a guy like that back at junior high, and I hated his guts. You know, it's just like, here's the name, John. Sweet! I think this is kind of cool. Elizabeth, bear you a son. He already knows what it is. You don't need the whole whatever it is to find out what it is. It already know in advance. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. Someone tweeted about that comment this week. What dad doesn't want to hear that about their kid? What dad doesn't want to hear that about their child? And they will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. That's a Nazarite vow from the Old Testament. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Hey, here in a bit, when we get to the rest of the story, not today, but the baby jumps in the womb. <laughs> now we know why. Uh, because the Spirit is in the baby. 
verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord. They needed that. Turn to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Are you making a connection? Last book, last chapter, last two verses. It's a connection here and it goes on. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. So intriguing. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah, you'll have joy and gladness. You're going to have a son. His name is John. He's going to be great before the Lord. Gives the Nazarite vow in verse 15. He's going to turn the people of the Lord uh, to the Lord, verse 16, uh, specifically by turning the hearts of the fathers to the children, dads. Of all the things that God would say needs to be happening at the time, it's turning the hearts of the fathers to the children. Back in that day, fathers were known for being very overly strict. Fathers back in that day were known for being angry. Mm, mm. But here God says, you know what? This one's going to help the fathers turn to their kids. Dads, we need you in the game. Turning the disobedient to wisdom, to right thinking, making people a, a, a people ready, a ready for who, ready for what. Well, let's keep reading verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? Dude, just zip it. But this would so be me. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Good thing she wasn't there. (laughs) But it was just guy to angel. (laughs) Uh, Verse 19, and the angel said to him, my friend, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. <laughs> but, 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 no, dude, let me remind you, this is good news, okay? And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled, by the way, in their time. I'd put it this way, Zachariah's reasoning got in the way of God's ability, but, but how, God? I mean, come on, God, that's not the norm. I mean, that doesn't seem possible. I just want to ask us, what words from God are hard for you and I to believe? Let me give you some possibilities. That he exists? Like, show me him. Point him out. Draw me a picture. Or maybe that he's good. I mean, how can God be good in this crazy, messed up world? Or the fact that uh, the Bible says that he's coming back. I mean, it's been like thousands of years. Come on. Or that salvation is by grace and not by works. You mean there's no way I can earn my way to God's favor? I mean, I'm better than other people. So? It's by grace and grace alone. Or receiving him as your savior. How about the blessing comes out of obedience? Come on. I I got lots of other things I want to do. I'd rather not obey. I I just, like, I got to give up stuff? No, blessing comes out of obedience. Or that he's faithful. That he will actually do what he says. I've been praying for a long time. 
and God hasn't shown squat. See, Zach and Elizabeth knew about that until now. I just want to remind us that God's ability trumps your and my reasoning. Yeah, but science says, no, God's bigger. Uh, but my friends say, but my family, I've always grown up being told blank. Yeah, but, but I just don't get how it could happen. That's okay. Is your reasoning getting in God's way? I would just ask that you and I consider just stepping down with our deals and just let God take care of it. We're a part of it. Let God be God. Verse 21. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. I think that is just so cool, by the way, friends. Here he is inside. All this is going on. I don't know how long it normally took, 30 minutes? I, don't, I have no idea. But let's just say it would normally took 30 minutes. It's been like 45 minutes or an hour. And they're all like praying, and it's like, wow, this is turning into a long prayer meeting. Like, is he coming out? And uh, they're wondering at his delay in the temple, verse 22. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. Can you picture it? There he is on the steps. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. How did they realize that? Maybe they just knew. Or maybe he had like, you know, used his arms and his body in such a way that it's like, oh, charades or, you know, whatever. And they figured out, uh, uh, yeah. And he kept making signs of them and remained mute. When his time of service had ended, he went to his home. God shut him up. By the way, it's also very possible that in all of this, that the Lord made him unable to hear. I don't know, some like Ravi Zechariah thinks, maybe because they got similar names, um, thinks that, uh, that it's very possible that he could not have heard anything at the time. Can you imagine that? I mean, what that puts you in and the place that puts you in when you can't talk and maybe potentially might even be that he can't even hear. Can you imagine for those days and those weeks and those months what's going on in your head? This is time to contemplate and think about where you're at. That was exactly what God wanted to do. My friend, zip it. Let me show you. It's not about your reasoning. It's fully about my ability. And I want to give you some time out and think. Children in the room right now are sweaty palms as a result of time out. And when his service had ended, he went to his home. Again, he didn't live on the temple grounds. He went back to his house. Well, let's go to verse 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden. We'll pause. I, I Honestly, I don't fully know exactly what the reasoning for that is. But let me just throw out some possibilities to consider. Maybe one, she just needed this amount of time to grasp what was really going on. I mean, maybe, honestly, she's even struggling kind of in the whole faith thing for a while. I, I don't know. Maybe it's, uh, 
I'm an old woman, and I go to out and I tell people, I'm pregnant. And then the whole community responds, now she's old and insane. I, I don't know. I, I state, state it this way. I, I wonder if she waited for five months so she could prove it. Ladies, you get this better than us guys do. But I just wonder. By the way, verse 25, I think, puts some insight onto this. Let's read 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me. That's cool. By the way, to take away my reproach among people. I think there's some hurt in that. I think there's some real life anguish in that statement. Tired of being reproached by people. I'm tired of the small town smack talk and gossip and all the little riffraff that goes on. So I'm just going to wait for five months until I can prove it. Observation. Personal observation is, is that uh, over the years I've had some chance to uh, be able to uh, observe people that the Lord has used in big ways. Um, there's a lot of life hurt with them. I think sometimes when we see people that are kind of in the throes of the popularity, whatever, we think that, uh, man, how sweet that must be to be in all that glory. I'm a small fry. I'm talking about others who are like Mark four, uh, 100-fold kind of people. I'm just going to tell you, as years have gone by in ministry and have had a chance to, to observe and watch some more big fry people the pain that they experience in life, whether it's health, family, accusations. I wonder if part of the reason oftentimes we're not used by the Lord in greater ways is because we live in a culture where we don't want any life pain. And yet God uses pain month ago I was in a meeting heard stories from a guy who's a big fry of stuff going on and accusations being made that are just utterly astounding so sad so sad and, and that was a time in my life where I sat there around the table with about 12 guys, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I want to go through that kind of accusation and pain. Are we willing to go through the years and the decades of hurt and pain by a sovereign God to be able to be used in great ways by the Lord? Are you and I willing to be the kind of people 
that take accusations and take all kinds of garbage tossed and information completely misstrewed and turned around and tweaked just to damage a person because there are people out there who would get no greater delight than to smack talk people and shoot them down. Are you and I willing to be that? Are you and I willing to take that? I just walk away from this part of the birth story and go, Zachariah and Elizabeth, walking blamelessly, righteously before the Lord for decades, and knowing personal, social, and spiritual hardship. They were just the kind of couple the Lord God wanted to use. Ready to be used, shaped by time, ready to be used. Is that you and I? Or are we looking for a golden nugget, genie performing God? Hey, as we walk into the birth, do know this. Surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ is events that are taking place that are just so much great data to grab and to learn from. And here, as we kind of last couple things out of this, I would say this couple application points. Uh, number one, life is not about my story. Life is not about my glory. It's not. Life is not about your story. Life is not about your glory. Uh, God is not your genie. He is not there to fulfill your desires the way you want in your time. I mean, seriously, how selfish is that? That's not what it's about. 